you can now listen to Conning the Con ad-free on Apple subscription and buymeacoffee.com forward slash Conning the Con. But that is not all you will find there. I've got two little words for you. Tonka Trilogy. If you know, you know, right? And if you don't, keep listening to Conning the Con and it will all become clear soon enough. And if you want a sneak peek, head over to at Conning the Con on Instagram and get a look at the lighter side of this, well, very heavy con story. Simply click the subscribe button now on Apple Podcasts for ad-free and bonus content. Or if you aren't an Apple user, head to buymeacoffee.com forward slash conning the con, where on top of that ad-free and bonus content, you can access exclusive videos. You'll find all the links, as always, in the show notes. Have you ever felt that pang of disappointment when you couldn't add a ticket to your collection because it was digital? Or maybe you just lost it. Well, stubforge.com is here to change that. Imagine this. Tickets that not only look, but feel like the real deal. Because each ticket from Stubforge is printed on the same quality stock that Ticketmaster uses and printed with genuine ticket printers. It's like holding a piece of the concert, the game or the show right in your hands. But Stubforge isn't just about replacing tickets. With the easy-to-use interactive designer, you can create custom tickets for anything from concerts to sports games, pregnancy announcements or parties. Why not make your invitations stand out with tickets that are as unique as your event? And if you're trying to complete a back catalogue of missing tickets, Stubforge offers bulk discounts to make it both easy and affordable. With Stubforge, you can once more give your loved ones physical tickets and see their eyes light up instantly at the best gift you can give. So whether you're looking to reignite your ticket collection, craft the perfect gift or send the coolest invites, head over to stubforge.com. Start creating today and see how Stubforge makes every ticket a story worth saving. Visit stubforge.com and start making tickets today. Something is Like Wonder Woman and Spider-Man, superheroes have superpowers. Some have super strength, others can fly or even shoot webs out of their arms and they seem pretty invincible. But villains, they can have superpowers too. And for con artists, those that are high on the psychopathy scale, Dr. Muir says they have a very particular superpower. What the research suggests is that they're very attuned to being able to to detect vulnerability. There's studies where they give people who are high in psychopathy stories about a range of different characters and then they test their recall of those stories. They find that their recall of the vulnerable female characters is really, really good, but their recall of any other characters is not as good. So their brains are like highly attuned to being able to pick up on that. They they do know how to detect vulnerability, which is scary. Coming up in this episode, we're reading it just aghast going fuck. And he's at Emma's house right now, and that's when like murder all this stuff goes through my mind sick to my stomach and shock and disbelief and I was thinking this guy standing outside the house I just really got paranoid because I was just thinking oh my god what are we you know we don't know what he's going to turn into I'm Sarah Ferris 
and I'm Emma Ferris, and this is my story, Conning the Con. Something is creeping in, don't follow it down. I have been through one of the hardest experiences in the last 24 hours. I want to record it today while I'm in it, so that I can remember answers can fuel me and help others learn from my experience. 24 hours ago I found out the person that I've been dating and seeing for the last six months is a con man. That recording was taken one day after Emma found out that Andrew Thompson's real identity was actually Andrew Tonks and two days after she had transferred a further 250,000 New Zealand dollars. So all up Andrew now had a grand total of 300000 of Emma's hard-earned dollars. But all that was about to change. The tables were about to turn on Andrew. And how that happened, it's quite an interesting chain of events with two very unlikely and mostly reluctant heroes at the centre of it. Not the lycra-clad, cape-crusader type of heroes of the movies, but an unassuming mum, Jo, and her yoga-teaching accomplice, Sasha. You've heard from them in previous episodes, and both Joe and Sasha, they're longtime friends of Emma's and were part of a very small group of people that Emma had shared the warts and all, ups and downs of her new relationship with. And along with their husbands, they all played a pivotal part in the events of the weeks prior to Emma depositing that money into Andrew's account. In this episode, you'll hear conversations that Emma recorded with Joe and Sasha in the aftermath of Andrew's unmasking, because while these amateur sleuths were digging, Emma was completely oblivious to the lengths that her friends were going to protect her. But what started that ball rolling? Remember the story of Andrew's absence of online profile, his tale of having travelled to America and having been a victim of identity theft? Well, this was Joe's reaction. Oh, yeah, I have seen that in a movie. <laughs> that could be true. And then I think, and then because then I think about things and I'm after you left, and then I talk to Tom and say, you know, about identity theft. And Tom has a little laugh and goes, hmm, yeah. I'm like, yeah. Do you think that's right? Or what do you think? And we sort of discuss. And then I'm thinking, yeah, that's interesting. I said, but you must, he must have some sort of Facebook identity or there must be something. I don't believe that you cannot be traced. Oh, when he said he'd gone to jail. Mm. And that's when I start thinking, people just don't go to jail just for nothing. Around that same time, Sasha was also getting a bad vibe about Andrew. And just a reminder, this was a conversation Sasha had with Emma. And so for context, the you she refers to in the recording is actually Emma. I think I rang Joe and said to Joe, I'm not feeling easeful with this. I'm not feeling easeful with this guy. It doesn't feel right to me. And she agreed. Um, but we kind of didn't really know what to do about it. And then I think I rang you and said, I don't, you know, are you really sure about this? And you assured me that you were. Um and again, you assured me that you checked it all out. And I was like, okay, okay. And Sasha was basically, look, I've done my talk. I'm going to just, that, that's it now. I will have to, she just was like, I'm going to have to rub my hands of this because it's, she's not listening. I've got a bad feeling and I just have to wash my hands. And that's when I actually, something came in and was like pushing me then. And I was just like, okay. So that's when I went to playgroup and said to Maddie, who was in my OPA? He was your OPA. 
um, how is, what's that Andrew guy like? And she really liked him. And I was just like, yeah, just a few people are a little bit worried. And she was like, oh, really? And I was like, yeah, can you um, you do me a big favour and just, I need his details because I'm actually getting a little bit worried now. And when I said that, Maddie was like, oh, which was really good. So she went and he was at your house because she said, oh, actually, he's coming tonight. And I was like, oh, that's great. So anyway, I left it because I thought, well, if Maddie can't do this, you know, blah, blah, blah. And anyway, and she comes back with this, I've got this great idea. She had stuff that needed coming over. So through his transportation business she just made this big thing my parents are looking at coming over here and we need to logistically get things over do you you've got your business and he's like yeah that is my business so he sent her all his her all his contacts which were perfect we even got a picture of him and with his email and that's all we needed and I was just like thanks that's awesome and I and I text back and I must have said is he there all night and she was like yeah he's staying the night prior to this joe and sasha only knew andrew by his first name but the contact details emma's au pair maddie had obtained well they still were only his false name andrew thompson so a simple google and facebook search yielded nothing but joe had a secret weapon in her hero's arsenal her husband tom tom comes home I said, did you bring your computer home? Because he said, look, if you get the details, I'm happy to bring the computer home and tap, tap. I said, bring it. He goes, no, I forgot my computer. And this was like 8.30. And I was like, oh, damn it. And I chucked the iPad over and said, look, just can you just do something? I think we'll just have a look, whatever you can do. I don't, because it was out of my hands. Tom takes the scant information on Andrew's contact details and starts to dig into the business name on the email, ATI Group Limited. It is a business that Andrew has only very recently set up in New Zealand to supposedly move his Australian-based assets into. The information all seems to marry up. The full legal name on the site for the director is Andrew William Thompson. But at the bottom of the form is a little button with an attachment, innocuously named Consent Form. Tom clicks on through and under director's details, the name, it's no longer Andrew William Thompson, but rather the new name, Andrew Tonks Thompson. At that same time as Tom is tap-tap-tapping away on the 7th of April, Emma is putting her young children to bed, her mind bubbling with excitement at the possibilities that that $250,000 she is about to invest the very next morning is going to allow her and her young family to experience. And at the other end of the country, Sasha and her husband Matt also have a reason to be celebrating the 7th of April. It was actually our wedding anniversary and Matt and I were out for dinner and then I talked to Matt about it. You know, again, it just didn't seem real. So even though I was worried, I wasn't kind of like, ah, but you just don't think your friend's getting conned by a con man. And then Matt said to me, yeah, he had someone in his family that had been conned and he was like, this stuff happens. This really doesn't sound right. And that's when we really started doing some more digging and Joe and I were on the phone, you know, during the evening and doing more digging and it went pretty like literally I think we had taught knowing from when we teach the retreats which are often the beginning of April and mine and Matt's wedding anniversary is April the 7th so it was you know sort of within a week of like it just I got home and it just kept sitting with me this is not right and this is not right and so I just kept 
and and there was a point where I was like, oh, I don't know, what can I do about it? But then I just kept getting very clearly guided to do some more digging and find out what I needed to find out. So we knew that you being you, amazing as you are, that you wouldn't, unless we had evidence that you possibly weren't going to believe us because you'd invested so much and, and you had checked everything out and you had dotted your I's and crossed your T's, so to speak, because he was so good at what he'd done and does. He'd pulled the walls completely over your eyes. And of course, your heart wants to believe the best in people. And I did too. I wanted to believe that actually he was a good guy and that, you know, you guys were going to build a beautiful life together because you want to see your friends happy. I think it's fair to say that Sasha and Matt's wedding anniversary dinner was taking a very unromantic turn. Joe and Tom, they're texting them back and forth whilst they are searching all iterations of the name Andrew, William, Tonks and Thompson that they can find. Do you think he's this guy? And so that's when we looked about Facebook came up and then we Google searched and because then we gave, then we're ringing going, it's on the Facebook, here's his name and because then um, Matt's going tap, tap, tap. And then he's getting, he got probably exactly the same time we saw the the fraud Con man, it was no picture. What Joe is referring to there is the article that both Sasha and Matt and Joe and Tom find at almost the exact same time. It's from the Otago Daily Times newspaper, dated the 20th of December 2016. And the headline reads Fraudster jailed after theft to pay reparation. Can you imagine them reading that? And the abridged article it reads In March, Andrew Charles Tonks admitted theft by a person in a special relationship. Now, the article, it goes on to cover the nature of several other charges of fraudulent behaviour. But what gets me is that while on bail, he decides his best chance to swerve prison time is to steal more money. The article says, while on bail, Tonks used forged documents to obtain $23,000 from Turner's finance, which he intended to use to fund reparation. So basically, the Andrew in this article had been working as a depot manager at a car rental company and had only lasted all of six weeks before he had started offending. It goes on to say Tonks had no previous convictions in New Zealand, but he had seven in Australia, five of those in 2014 for which a suspended prison sentence was imposed. The initial pre-sentence report assessed him at a medium risk of reoffending. It said that he showed no remorse and had blamed his employer for lack of training. Judge Callahan said the lengths Tonks would go to to dupe people out of the money and the meticulous planning involved meant imprisonment was the correct response. And so he was jailed for 22 and a half months. We're reading it, just aghast, going, and he's at Emma's house right now, and that's when, like, murder, mm-hmm. all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I really am because then I'm thinking then – Tom, then Tom scared me by going, well, you know that they can um, – if he's a con man, he might know that we're onto him, that we've seen his Facebook. And I'm just like, oh, my God, don't say that. That's the guy. That's the guy. He's been in prison before. He's a con man. He's been convicted for this. And that's when we got the police involved. We were really scared. We were really scared that night because you had told me he was going to be staying that night. And we were really scared that things could get really nasty. Like we knew he'd been, he was a convicted criminal. We were like, well, what do we do? What do we do? And then rang Sasha and met her in the car because her phone had gone dead at one stage. (laughs) 
<laughs> like, what do we do? What do we do? And then Tom's in the conversation. We're having this four-way conversation. And now a word from our sponsors. The truth about the Haditha massacre has been covered up, but not anymore. I know you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children. What are you thinking? What a mess. U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood. And at the center of it all is 25-year-old Sergeant Frank Wooderick. And me. Murder in House 2. A new podcast from Crowd Network. Welcome to the Bravery Academy. My name is Emma Ferris and I'm your host. This podcast is crafted to share the stories of courageous individuals who've overcome adversity and found the courage to live their best lives. We'll explore the science of well-being, courage and connection and interview top thought leaders, game changers and survivors. And it's from these stories that we learn what resilience is, how to heal, how to recover and how to be brave. I'm Sarah Ferris, true crime podcaster. And I'm Catherine Schweit, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. And we have a, well, not so gently named podcast called Stop the Killing. Yep, there's a clue in the title. We need your help to end the global mass shooting epidemic. Find out how as we bring you the stories right from the source. If you would have told me that a Columbine could have happened at Columbine, I would have said no way. I remember just thinking, he's got a gun. Something rose up inside, and I said, not my school. What we can't underestimate is the power that individuals could have in stopping these school shootings. My little boy, Alex, was murdered. If we can fix the failures, we can save lives. My daughter, Elena, was killed. She'd want me to do something about this. I know she would do something about it. Join us and be part of the solution. Subscribe now to Stop the Killing podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your true crime podcasts. If you recall, the email Andrew had sent Maddie the au pair had a photo on it, and once they had confirmed that the Andrew in the article was the same Andrew Emma was dating, they knew they were out of their depth. So they decided to seek the advice from a mutual friend who had previously worked in law enforcement. That was when actually my heart was going, oh, no. And then we were talking to him and then we were coming up with a plan and we said, look, this guy's there. Can you come down now? And then he said, no, no, maybe it's a good idea if you guys go and do it. And I said, no, I'm not going. We're not going. That guy's here. (laughs) Kill us. Because I was really scared of your life, actually, right then. I really just went boom like oh my god this is really real this is real and then that's when we rang at this four-way conversation with Sasha and Matt this guy's at Emma's house and so Matt's like well let's get the big guy's guns in and just beat the shit out of him <laughs> and make him give the money back so then this was getting on to like 10 30 and I was just like oh god oh god and then I couldn't sleep, Tom couldn't sleep, because then I was thinking this guy's standing outside the house. I just really got paranoid because I was just thinking, oh, my God, what are we, you know, we don't know what he's going to turn into. Like, even though things, the stories hadn't added up, you just don't think that someone could go that far and you don't think someone could con someone that supposedly met their children. And so although although my all along or pretty early on my intuition was telling me something's not right you just don't believe it because it seems so unbelievable and then even even for me even though we were the ones digging when 
I was faced with the evidence, I still didn't believe there was a part of me that was like, maybe this isn't right, but it was his photo. It was clear. It was him. (laughs) Jo and her husband were working with the police. We were working more with your family and, and deciding who was best to get involved. Now here's the sliding doors part of this story. Joe and Sasha wanted to make sure they had double-checked all the evidence. This was well outside their realm of experience. And so while they were grappling with how best to tell Emma, they slept on the information and spent the 8th of April working with the police to figure out the best way of exposing Andrew to Emma safely. Meanwhile, that very same morning, Emma was obliviously transferring the $250,000 into Andrew's bank account. Of course, Sasha and Joe had no idea that the information they were sitting on was quite so eminently crucial. They were deciding who was the best to contact in our family. They found one of our brothers on Facebook and sent him an urgent message exposing Andrew as a con and waited for a reply. Unfortunately, neither of my brothers are massive social media fans. So it was to go unread until 5.30am the following morning when my brother Matt was woken by one or perhaps both of my two young screaming nephews. At at that point, not only were we wanting to find the evidence to prove that he was a con man, we were also wanting to make sure that you were safe. And we didn't know that he had left that night and left straight away and gone to the bank. We thought he was still with you. So we were worried if it came out that you could be endangered. They had every right to be concerned for Emma's safety. At this stage, nobody knew who Andrew Tonks was and what he was capable of. The only thing that they knew for sure was that he was now a serial con artist. And as Dr Muir explains, serial con artists are often high in psychopathy. People who are high in psychopathy do have higher rates of violence. So it is a risk factor to violence, but not all people with psychopathy will be violent. It's something to 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 absolutely be vigilant to and careful around and putting mechanisms in place like having family and friends and know where you are. I mean, I think it was just interesting, the timing of it, that, as you said, the timing of it, the way that it happened of our wedding anniversary on the 7th and you transferred the money over on the 8th and just the whole way it went down and that was the night just before you transferred the funds over that we were digging 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 and if we had just left it and just gone oh it'll be fine that it it really would have turned out a lot worse but it was like that 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 gut instinct of like no you need to act on this and you need to act on this now or this is going to be really bad for your friend and I think it was it's also that point of like my gut is telling me something but who am I to say something to my friend about this and not wanting to create having a hard conversation. We avoid hard conversations because we don't like conflict. We don't like hard conversations. So we literally shut our gut and our intuition down to avoid having to do and say challenging things. As it stands on the evening of the 8th of April, Joe and Sasha have decided on a course of action. Sasha isn't living in the same town, let alone the same island as Emma, so it unfortunately falls to poor old Joe to be the bearer of the truly awful news. A plan is hatched that first thing in the morning when they are sure that Andrew has left the house, Joe will text Emma and ask her to come to her house so that she can show her that all-important evidence. 
So they settle in for yet another sleepless night. The following morning at 5.30am, my brother Matt wakes to the message from Joe and promptly hot potatoes that message onto my other brother, John Paul, who is the intended recipient. Now, it gets a bit legal here, but what you should know is that in New Zealand, you can hold your house in a trust for your children, which is what Emma had set up for hers. And since her divorce, she had needed a different signatory on the trust to co-sign with her. Enter my brother, John Paul. And only that Friday prior, John Paul had co-signed the document to release the equity from Emma's house that she had intended for the property investment with Andrew. For John Paul, the penny drops. He is the first to realise that the money that was signed over on Friday could well be in the wind with Andrew. At this time, it's around 7.30pm in London and my phone rings and I see it's from my brother. And as previously mentioned, my brothers are very limited in their social media interaction, but John Paul takes it one step further and avoids all but essential communications. So I guessed it was going to be something catastrophic. And it was. And Emma was going to be the last to know. So it was... Tuesday the 9th of April and I had quite a busy day ahead of me. I woke up, I think it's around 6.30 and my phone rings. My good friend Joe, her number comes up. It's quite early. I'm like, what is she calling for? I was kind of worried for something for her. But in the end, it was that she had to deliver for her, I'm sure, one of the hardest messages of her life. Well, she first of all asked if Andrew was there. I said, he's not. He hasn't been here for a few days. And she said, I need to tell you something and I need you to believe me because it is true and I, I, I've got evidence I can show you. It's in black and white, Emma. It's, it's not looking good. And you said, can you just send that? And I sent it. And then in my last message, I just put, and we, by the way, we rang the cop and it was, it's him. So the next thing in my messages comes up with this ODT article. He had been arrested, and but it was under the name Andrew Charles Tonks. Now, I knew that this was part of his long name that he told me, this Andrew William Charlton Tonks Thompson. And when I'd searched at that combination, it never came up because it wasn't the combination he had been arrested for. Otherwise, I would have found this. And I get there to him as we go out the back, and you're just going. You, first thing you said, I don't think it's him, Joe. It's oh, the first thing you said to me. And mm -hmm. I just, and that was my thing because I said to Tom, she won't believe me. Mm -hmm. And you said, I don't think it's him. And I said, Emma, did you not see the last message? And you went, no. And that's when you just, it, the penny dropped and you just went, oh, no, no. And I was like, what, what have you done? And then you mm -hmm. said, I've just deposited 250000 I just remember being like, I don't, I didn't know what to do because you know nothing prepares you for that moment when you actually have to figure out how you deal with it. I remember going, shit, I've just put this money into this, into someone that is literally a fraudster. Joe was there and I was started making phone calls to the bank, my bank, and finding out what I could do if I could freeze the money. It was early in the morning, but nobody was really answering. Or I did talk to the bank and they were like, look, there's nothing we can really do right now. And I was like, geez, Joe, I've got to go to function. I've got to go to work. If I can't stop this money, I don't know how I'm going to do it. And I was like, okay. 
okay, well, I'll, I'll come around when you, what time you finish. And then I made this point of, where are you actually working today? And anyway, I met up with Tom, and at this stage, he's on the phone with your brother. Your brother was on the bank, and Tom was just going, do not let them give him that money. And that was really good. They just talked and talked. And then I'm at home with Charlie. Next thing, I get this phone call from your brother. It might have been the other brother going, you don't know me, and I know that you know the story. And, and you know, we're trying to get him his money back, and we've only got so much time. Do you know where she is? And I said, actually, I do know where she is. He goes, can you go and get here? She's not through the phone. It's like, yep. I'll do that. So Charlie's with me. I said, Charlie, we have to go and save Emma's money. Get in the car. So, so I up to Wayuna, knocking on the door. The door was locked. Couldn't open it. Knocking, knocking. What is it? Emma, you've got 20 minutes to get home. Call your brother. You've got 20 minutes to get your money back. Joe's like, you have to come now. Your brother has managed to get this to be frozen, but it needs your signature on this document and it's in an email form. You need to get back and write and, and confirm this right now. So I went back in and I said to Paul, I'm so sorry. I need to, I need to stop this. Um, I can't, I have to go. It is an, literally an emergency. And this, this person, this client that I work with, who's amazing. I said to him, he said, are you okay? And I said, no, I am. Um, I am. Um, I've just found out that I've been conned and by the person that I was dating. And he stopped. He gave me the biggest hug. He just said, "Go, go and deal with it." Oh. So I ran out the door, got in my car, and got into reception range and and my brother. And and this is the first time that we talked. He's like, "It's okay, but you need to action this straight away." So I was on the email straight away to the fraud department and I sent that email off and was just waiting and hoping that that would be enough to freeze the account not knowing how much was actually going to be in there at that moment so I I then went back home and Joe popped up again <laughs> she does she was there and was my absolute rock for the day I remember that morning going into my room <laughs> And just having this moment of realization of what I had, what had happened, what this person had done to me and my family and targeted me. And I sat on my bed and I just had this clarity of going, there is no, no fucking way that he is going to get away with this. There is no way that somebody does this to me. And I was prepared to fight. And that was. A huge turning point, and it's what motivated me all the way through that moment, and it has burned into my mind. The root of trauma is going through something horrific and being powerless. So it's that sense of powerlessness, being trapped and frozen, that is the root of distress. When you're in a traumatic situation, and you are able to use your fight and flight to get out of it, to do something, to fight back. People have less distress after those events. Dr. Muir there. It, it sounded like Emma had decided very early on which lane she was going to pick. She was determined to fight. And whether she was conscious of it or it was an automatic pilot choice, she started fighting almost the instant she discovered the truth about Andrew. So at 8am I message or text Andrew. At that point I didn't want to call him or for him to be aware of anything that was going on. And I thought, 
maybe I can get the money back. So I message him and it says, hey, I'm not feeling really good about loaning you the money now. Don't think we should be mixing relationship and business. Can we hold off on this for the next two months and get stuff in place first? He came back and at that point he started to push back quite repeatedly through the day. At that moment, I start, after I get back from from work and we know that the money's frozen at least, I start to work with Joe, um, well, Joe's sitting there in front of me, while I start to unravel all the lies and figure out what is the which ones are true and what am I really dealing with because I just didn't know who this guy was at all. Through that day, he kept coming back with, with options for the money. Andrew and Emma's communication from this point on is all via text and email, and we've used an actor to voice those. Just thinking out loud, babe, while I wait for my accountant to get back to me, how about we halve it? 250000 was a scary amount. What if I send you back 125000 today, and then we can just halve all the payments from this coming Friday onwards? That will generate you just under ten k a month in interest returns, and still give you back 175000 by this time next year as well. Hopefully 10k a month still allows you to work on you and the kids, but also knowing you still have half still sitting there to ease your stress. At that point in time, when he was pushing back with that, I knew the money was frozen, so I still I pushed back more. I didn't know how much money was frozen at that point, and that was that was hard because I was like, oh God, has he just pulled it all the way out of his account or what's going on with it? And he he then begins to realize that something isn't quite right. Uh, I remember he sent a text at midday and it had a screenshot of his bank account and it showed that in one of the accounts it had 200000 and in the, one of the others it had 7000 He said the rest of the 250 k had gone to the alcohol company he was invested in. But that didn't make sense because that wasn't what I was supposed to be investing in. So some of the stuff that he'd sent was was super manipulative, and this is when you began, to, or I began to notice that pushback from him. Are you the reason the bank is taking so long to get back to me? I need an answer, sweetness. We haven't even got to one week of the arrangement, and it appears you're trying to sabotage it. I've been nothing but upfront with you. This is really upsetting me, babe. Now at that time, bear in mind, I know he's a con man, so it's like I remember being so angry and fueled, and yet I couldn't react to it because I couldn't call him out on it. And then he sent a message like, I am more than happy to forgive and forget and move on, babe. More than happy to go back to how we are and keep business investments completely separate. I do not want this coming between what we have. And one of my favorite ones that he sent that day was, well, can your brother give you the, this deal? Can anybody else give you this opportunity? Through the day, I know his suspicions were up and he was worried and concerned. I mean, his world was falling apart. And he asked this question, which I think was the part that we ended up being able to play on. And he said, Is this him, babe? Or is this purely a money thing? And I sent a very simple text back. It's just a money thing. I, I went back and I said to him, and obviously this is a, this is the like I feel like a turning point for me was that I said my family have got wind and the sooner the money is back we can get back to normal I was using my that fact that my family found out about this that were they weren't comfortable they were pushing back and then this text comes back from him how did your family find out no bloody dirty Andrew for fuck's sake I did like that one 
So when I was starting to dig into the stories that he told me and the businesses, one of the first ones was ringing up the real estate agent for the company that was selling the property development. And at that point, Andrew had told me that he had paid the deposit for that. And so I wanted to check if that was actually true or not. I rang the agent and basically what I said to them was I was interested in purchasing the property, that central Queenstown property, and I wanted to know if there was a contract on it or not. And they had said, yes, there was. However, the deposit hadn't been paid and it looks like it will probably fall through and that the owner of the property is very much open to other offers. At that point, I said, is the person that you have been dealing with Andrew Thompson or Andrew Tonks? And they said, oh, Andrew Thompson, how did you know that? I said, oh, I found out this person is a con man and please be wary. I can't tell you why I know that and you need to protect yourself, but um, I would get involved and talk to the police as I am doing right now. But please don't spook him. The next business story that I started to dig into was the frozen distribution company or the trucking company that he had been uh, telling me he was buying half of. So I managed to get a hold of the general manager and I said, have you had Andrew Tonks or Andrew Thompson ever been involved in your company? This person is saying that he is about to be made a director and has half of the company. He literally laughed and was like, yeah, no, never heard of that person at all and not part of it. So that whole story was a lie. So the next company that I began to dig into was the second trucking company he said he was involved in. And this company was based in central Otago. What he told me was that he was actually being a consultant to the board because of his trucking background in Australia and when he had the company over there. They had really seen the, the, the ability that he could to help out and they wanted to have him as a consulting role. So he was going into the central Otago company to clean it up. I decided to call up and uh, Joe, my friend, is in front of me. And I talked to this guy, finally get through into talking to the general manager. And he goes, oh, so who are you? And I said, oh, my name's, uh, my name's Joe. I look in front of me. <laughs> Joe's there. He's like, and, sorry, what was your last name? And I'm like, oh, God, I can't remember. How am I going to use my name? I look down and in front of me is the article of Andrew going to jail. And, and then I, saw, I was like, oh, I can't say him, uh, Joe Fraudster. <laughs> Joe Godman. So there's a little article to the side that has popular, popular articles. And I'm like, I'm Joe Poplar. <laughs> And it just came out of nowhere. And so at that point, he has this fake name that I use just to be able to have a conversation and say, look, I'm just trying to get hold of somebody and his name is Andrew Thompson. Is there anybody that's worked with you in that name? And he's like, no, no, no one in that name. And I said, oh, sorry, I meant Andrew Tonks. Andrew Tonks is his name, sorry. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's been working with us for the last year, which obviously coincides with other things that he had been released from. What he told me was that he'd been working on the board. And at that point, he kind of laughed. and went, no, 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 no. He's been in dispatch. And that was it. He was literally truck driver who worked in dispatch. Shadow dark upon the wall Moving slow and stretching toward her hands Hold them up as cold A Shadow dark upon the wall Moving slow and stretching tall And up to the mountains her gaze is pulled 
If you liked our story, please share with family and friends. And like, subscribe and review so others can learn from my lessons. If you or anyone you know has been affected by something similar, please reach out for help. You are not alone. We've included some links in our show notes. Conning the Con was made with the input of Dr. Sophie Muir and the original music is by the talented Aroha Min. Something is creeping in, don't follow it down. more podcasts from Community Podcast Productions, like this one. Something is creeping, don't follow it down. Let me introduce you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. The type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now, you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy. And you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. You stole from my son, who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims... Subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. My name is Bill Huffman, and I am a former Cleveland News producer, and I am now the host of the podcast, Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Mihaljevic, and now each week I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed is an Evergreen Podcasts, Killer Podcasts, and Slow Burn Media production. Subscribe today wherever you get your favorite shows. Ohio is a land of mystery. From missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface to strange phenomenon slicing through her skies. From myths that have evolved around historic events and people to the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering what happened. Find Ohio Mysteries on your favorite podcast app and let's explore the inexplicable. OhioMysteries.com.